Hi, and welcome to the Milk and Coffee Podcast, your coffee break for the ears. My name is Ava, and I want to invite you to slow down, simplify, and explore the art of cozy living with me. This is your invitation to embrace a more nourishing way of being. So grab a cup and get comfortable. I'm so happy you are here. Hey, hey, (laughs) how are you, my beautiful friends? I hope this episode finds you well. And it is already pretty late here on my end and everybody's sleeping. And so without further ado, I'm just going to jump straight into the episode. So just for a second, imagine soft candlelight flickering in the background as you are wrapped in your coziest sweater, listening to some soft tunes, cooking up a simple, nourishing whole foods dinner for your loved ones. And with that vision in your mind, I want to welcome you to a journey into the heart of the kitchen where comfort and coziness can be found, at least if you are as much into cooking as me. As a mother of three, I rely on simple but flavorful meals that the kids will eat, sometimes all of it, sometimes just part of it, but foods that are also really wonderful and colorful and fulfilling to my palate as well. We all know that feeding a family and cooking with children can be a chaotic situation on many days, but at the heart of my home is definitely the kitchen. It's where I have some of my fondest childhood memories, and it's where I create not only memorable food, but hopefully also some good moments for my own children. I think the picture of a beautiful kitchen, the scent of freshly baked bread in the air, a simmering pot of soup on the stove, a steaming cup of tea in our hands. Ah, that's like really huge kitchen magic and something I often think about and romanticize about. Now that is not my reality every day. Please don't think that it is. This is not an episode about perfectionism. It's actually the opposite. It's about how to make a few amazing ingredients work really, really hard for you so you don't have to spend as much time and money on all the rest that goes into your cooking. On the days that my kitchen does feel like that amazing cozy dream, I am so very grateful for that. And on the days where it's all a big mess and a blur and we're all frazzled and impatient and, you know, sometimes even a little bit unkind when things get heated, I am still grateful that I get to eat and that I have a kitchen and that I have these children, even though they test my patience. So in this episode, I want to invite you to step into my kitchen where I use a few simple but high quality ingredients to make any meal cozy. I want to share a few pantry staples that really make my heart warm and my soul content. And maybe you discover them for yourself because it does not take an elaborate list of ingredients or complicated recipes to make amazing home cooked meals. Quite the opposite, in fact. And if you've seen any of my photography or any other design work or writing that I've done, then 
you know that I do like to keep things simple. And I, I continuously ask myself, where can I pare back and simplify through the lights of my cozy kitchen? From the soothing embrace that is golden and velvety honey to the aromatic wonders of spices like cardamom, I want to show you how a handful of thoughtfully chosen pantry staples can transform your whole food cooking. So grab a comfy blanket, get cozy, pour yourself a cup of something warm, and join me in my kitchen where I try to infuse every meal with a touch of warmth and nostalgia and definitely comfort. I want to start out with the two most basic ingredients that I think are sort of used mindlessly all the time, but make all the difference if chosen a little bit more carefully. So simple kitchen staple number one and two really is high quality salt and olive oil. So let's start with the first. Let's start with salt. I usually have at least two different types of salt in my kitchen. I season a lot of my cooking with Himalayan pink salt because I love the flavor of it. I think it has a very unique flavor profile and I like the color. But the star of my spice rack is a ceramic bowl of beautiful, pure flake salt. Such as fleur de sel or Maldon um, sea salt. And this is where I'm willing to pay a good price to get a very clean, high-quality product. High-quality flake salts are typically harvested from pristine sea salt beds or salt pans and undergo very minimal processing. So unlike cheap table salt, it lacks all the additives or anti-caking agents. To me, that is worth paying a bit extra, especially since a little goes a very long way with a good flake salt. It is very salty, very flavorful. So I use that salt mostly for garnishing, for fresh salads, and to bring out the best of certain veggies. So really, it is my finishing salt. The little salt crystals dissolve quickly on the palate like a delightful burst of saltiness without overwhelming the taste buds too much. It has a nice, delicate crunch, and it's full of nourishing trace minerals. So like I said, I take a little out of its original packaging at a time, and I have it in a beautiful little ceramic bowl that I actually made myself. And so when I use it, I just go in with my clean fingers. And that to me is just the most hoogie experience. It's it's sensory rich. It's wonderful to look at this beautiful salt and this beautiful dish, the beautiful texture, and all of that really enhances my whole cooking experience and turns something mundane into something very precious. Some of the favorite ways I use it are on a slice of fresh bread with some butter. I just, you know, put butter on the bread and then just sprinkle a little bit of salt and it's so good. I use it to salt um, sliced radishes, for example, to eat with any meal or with the above-mentioned butter bread. Cutting pickles, uh, sorry, cucumbers or radishes early in the cooking process and just sprinkling some salt on it gives it some nice time to just kind of sit and absorb it for a little bit. And then it's kind of ready to go and be just this amazing experience in your mouth um, when all the other food is done. If there's any left and I haven't already 
finish them off during cooking. <laughs> I like to add the flake salt to an avocado and just spoon it straight into my mouth. I like to add it before serving roasted vegetables. And I like to sprinkle it on top of dates for a super quick and easy snack. And obviously I love it on, on butter lettuce or other fresh greens with just, with just a little bit of lemon and olive oil. Which brings me right to the next ingredient, and that's olive oil. Olive oil, in my opinion, is not just a pantry staple. It is, in fact, liquid gold. It is... How can I say it? I don't know. It's like the Mediterranean sun liquefied. Now, while some of you listeners think maybe about California when it comes to olive oil, my mind immediately goes to vivid imagery of Italy, but even more so, I think of soft sunlight dappling through olive trees in Greece and the contrast of the blue sea, the white houses, and the soft breeze. The rich culture and history of these places are captured in a bottle, right, in the form of olive oil. Olive oil has a storied history dating back thousands of years. Olive oil production can actually be traced back to, I think, at least 6,000 BC in present-day Israel and Palestine. And it was a commodity in ancient civilizations such as Greece and Rome and Egypt. They already knew how amazing it is. While I focus here mostly on the oil, I really also personally adore eating olives themselves. And I think that olive trees are actually simply so beautiful and holy and sacred. My best friend is growing one in a pot in her living room. She has been for years and it's just so beautiful to look at. The olive branch has been a symbol of peace and reconciliation since ancient Greek mythology when goddess Athena and god Poseidon were competing to be the patron deity of Athens. Athena's gift, a humble olive tree, was deemed more valuable and the city was therefore named in her honor. Ancient olive groves are cherished and protected and the production of a high-quality olive oil is both an art and a tradition and often passed down through generations. When picking olive oil, I always opt for a cold-pressed extra virgin olive oil with a fairly recent harvest date to guarantee a more robust flavor. Olive oil should be packaged in dark or opaque containers as it is light and heat sensitive. And if you can detect tiny sediment particles in the bottom, then that is actually a very good sign. That means it's minimally processed. The taste, of course, is the most important thing. And that, I think, is a very personal choice. Olive oil can range from fruity to nutty to slightly bitter to even grassy or, you know, blends of all of that. And the region where your oil comes from definitely has an impact on its flavor. I personally love a very peppery note and therefore prefer olive oil from Greece or Sicily. I find Greek olive oils have this undertone of herbs and fresh grass and sometimes even wildflowers, and that is perfection to me. But if you like um, a more mild or fruitier note, you may want to explore oils from California or southern Italian regions like Puglia. Or if you like a really nutty flavor, you may want to reach for a Tuscan olive oil. Unfortunately, you know, money doesn't grow on olive trees. And so I usually have 
two different bottles in my kitchen. One that is good quality, but has a higher smoke point for sauteing or roasting veggies alongside butter or ghee. And then one that is very, very flavor rich and that I only use for finishing dishes or in salads. Besides using olive oil for eating, I actually really like to also use it for body care every once in a while. I really enjoy taking some olive oil and mixing it with my coffee grounds from my espresso in the morning and some honey and mix together that makes this most luxurious scrub in the shower. It's a little bit messy, but if you can deal with that, it's wonderful. And the scent of the oil in the coffee is just beautiful. And it leaves my skin so wonderfully moist and exfoliated and smooth. So that brings me kind of right next to my next pantry staple. And that is raw honey, preferably local honey. Honey, you know, obviously it's very well known. It's nothing new here that I'm sharing with you. And I was even considering if I should add it to this list, but it is so important in my household that I didn't want to go without. You know, it's it's obviously just like salt and olive oil. It's so common and we are so rich for having these things around all the time. And so it sometimes we forget to, to take a moment to really ponder a bit about, um, how do I say this? The, the more spiritual essence, right? That these ingredients bring to our kitchen. Honey is obviously a very cozy ingredient. It doesn't only taste good, but it really carries this sweet wisdom and a profound connection to nature. Honey is this beautiful example of an ingredient that is that is taking way too lightly, in my opinion, when really it sort of is this nectar of divine essence. Because at the heart of it is this beautiful co-creation, this alchemy between these busy, hardworking bees and the beautiful, wise flowers around them. So truly, it is more than just a sweet indulgence, but the symbol of nature's abundance and also nature's harmony. And as bees gather nectar from flowers, they engage in this dance of interconnectedness, really sort of building you know, a tapestry of life. And every time we taste honey, we are savoring the essence of countless blossoms and this collective effort. Right? I mean, honey is really the most wonderful reminder of what life could be like if we could see the collective beauty and the interwovenness of all of us, right? Humanity at large. And that our lives too are interwoven with the natural world where everything has a purpose and everything also has a consequence. So honey embodies this sweetness of life, reminding me to seek joy and the delight in the simple pleasures. Even its beautiful color, the golden hue, mirrors this golden light, which again, it's a beautiful metaphor because aren't we all trying to find that golden, beautiful light within ourselves? So really, here we are, deep down, all seekers of a honeyed soul.
Honey is so good to have on hand as a natural remedy to soothe our throats and comfort us through coughs and colds. Adding it to our teas is just a nice gentle touch for really any weary soul. The kids love it, right? I mean, it's it's like a symbol of love too when we pour honey into their tea. And, and to use honey in my kitchen with care and joy honors the work of the bees and the magic of the transformation. And it reminds me of their patience too, which is something I personally have to work so hard on during these mothering mothering years and especially having the kids in the kitchen with me. So maybe all of this inspires you that next time when you use honey to see it as a symbol of gratitude for the abundance that we get to enjoy, the sweetness of life. Besides um besides using honey as a sweetener for, you know, everything really tea, baking, oatmeal, coffee, I really enjoyed most again on a simple piece of good bread on top of a nice thick layer of butter. Okay, I think I got a little bit honey-eyed here and very much all feels. So um, let's balance it out with some salty goodness, shall we? I always have in hand a can of anchovies or a jar of capers alongside some really good Parmesan in the fridge. Some days I may have all three and some days I may only have one of these ingredients left, But if you have at least one of them at all times, I guarantee you, your cooking is safe. Whatever you cook up with your seasonal produce or meats or fish will come out so much more flavorful and the umami will have everyone lip smacking around the table, I promise. I I really strongly believe in the old saying that there are two kinds of people in the world, those who love anchovies and those who haven't tried them yet. My awakening moment happened a couple of years ago when I bought um, a cookbook. I think I mentioned before that I am a total sucker for cookbooks. I have a few treasured ones that I own, but I always have a huge selection from the library handy for just sort of loose inspiration and interpretation for cooking and meal planning. Anyways, it was when I bought the cookbook called Bitter Honey by Leticia Clark about her time in Sardinia that I really started experimenting with anchovies and I have been a convert since. I see how it could be off-putting to open a glass jar or a tin and be greeted by some dead small fish with really strong, really salty, really fishy flavor. But the umami in these is like no other. If you don't like looking at the whole fillets, you could get anchovy paste as well. Anchovies add depth and just the right amount of saltiness to almost anything. But in my kitchen, I use it most often to enhance the flavor of sauces or gravies. And I make this rub with butter, herbs that I have on hand, lemon and anchovies. And I rub it over and under the skin of any bird that I'm roasting, whether that's a chicken or turkey for Thanksgiving even. It's just amazing. And again, that's from that cookbook that I can really recommend, the Bitter Honey Cookbook. I use anchovies to make dressings or to eat straight from the tin. And yes, here I go again with the bread. I mean, just imagine for a moment, crusty, fresh sourdough and then fridge cold, like really, really cold butter. 
on top of it, like a, a nice sliver of it, and then top with an anchovy or two. Now, you know, you may, the, may it may not look so pretty. You can close your eyes and just have a taste. You haven't lived until you have this, I swear. However, if you are a vegetarian or a vegan, capers is the veggie friend of the anchovies or, you know, it's a little vegan brother. They are also so distinctive in their flavor and a lot less messy to handle than their fishy counterparts. So I usually always have capers on hand. Capers are the small flower buds of the caper bush and they are usually brined or salted. They kind of have a slightly peppery, lemony taste, which adds brightness and complexity to most dishes. I throw capers into almost all my pasta sauces, um, but especially homemade tomato sauce. I use it to make vegan Caesar dressing with cashews and capers. So even though I always have anchovies at home, I actually prefer this vegan Caesar dressing. And I use capers also as a garnish for a variety of toasts and salads, especially tomato salad. And I also love adding the capers itself or just the brine to some yogurt and using it as a dip with roasted veggies. Or I love adding them to any kind of fish, especially smoked salmon, again, on bread. (laughs) And my third salty forever kitchen treasure is a chunk of good Parmesan. Again, a little goes a long way. And I find that actually every time I try to save money on Parmesan, I totally regret it because we end up using so much more to achieve the same flavor. Parmigiano-Reggiano has a history that dates back over 900 years. It originated in the Emilia-Romagna and Lombardy regions of Northern Italy. And traditionally, it's made with only three ingredients. Um, That's cow's milk, salt, and rennet. It's aged for a long period of time, and you can tell a good Parmesan by its labeling as Parmigiano-Reggiano, as that is only allowed um, if it meets very strict criteria. And then once you've you know found that label, I'd say buy the oldest one you can afford. Parmesan is robust and complex in flavor. It's nutty, it's savory, it's salty, it's crumbly and grainy, and it's just the most amazing addition to almost anything. I use it grated or shaved as a topping for pasta. And I mean, not on top of a very rich cream sauce, but truly just with above mentioned good olive oil, some basil on top. Amazing. That's all pasta needs. I love Parmesan in combination with white beans. I love that so much. Like any seasonal veggie, sautéed in olive oil, cooked beans added, a bit of broth added, and then Parmesan on top makes for a delicious, simple, wholesome weeknight dinner. I love mixing some broth or, or heavy whipping cream with some leftover rice and Parmesan as a quick fix risotto. The kids love that too. Now, Italians would probably frown, you know, at me, but I often have leftover rice. So that's a quick lunch the next day. And I also love mixing finely grated Parmesan into my scrambled eggs for breakfast. Okay, I'm realizing now that I still actually have quite a few ingredients on my list. So I will go into two more today and then 
I will list the rest because they kind of sort of group together nicely as autumnal ingredients. I'll probably write a substack about those and post it on there to go with this episode. So, um, actually, let me just let me just add this this one last ingredient here, and it's um it's something I always have on hand, but that you may not be as familiar familiar with, depending on where you grew up, and that's the juniper berry. Now, I feel that is definitely something that most Germans will have in their spice cupboard and probably other Northern and Eastern Europeans as well. Juniper berries are the fruit of the juniper tree, which is a coniferous tree that is native in various regions in the Northern Hemisphere. So I think most of you are probably familiar with the tree, but maybe not so much with the berry for cooking. Cooking with juniper berries embodies the essence of home and and also hygge for me. It's comfort and contentment. Juniper berries whisper of the forest and evergreens and the mountain air. And with each sip or bite, the berry tells a story. You know, a touch of pine here, a hint of citrus there, the subtle earthiness, like the soft moss that carpets the forest floor. It's a flavor of simplicity and purity, like the untouched snow that's blanketing a forest in the winter. I think... As you may be able to tell, I think the juniper berry is a very poetic little ingredient. And it tells stories of resilience, of life persisting in the harshest of winters because, you know, those trees are hardy and and the berry's flavor is, is not bold or overpowering. It's sort of just like this gentle companion. Whether you encounter juniper berries in a warming tea, a hearty stew, or a fragrant gin even, Juniper berry is the embrace of Hugue. And the berry used in dishes and drinks brings me just back to the present moment. In my childhood, juniper berries were mostly used in flavoring meats, especially venison that my father harvested. And so that is also how I like to use it today. I add it to brines and I use it for pickling. I put it I put them in sauces and stews, both veggie and, you know, more hearty stews with meads. I put them in sauerkraut and I use them to infuse um, syrups or sauces for sweet desserts. Chunaba berries are quite potent, so you will only need a few. Uh, crushing them or lightly toasting them helps release their flavor. If you can find them again in your dish. Try to remove them from the dish before serving because biting into a juniper berry at the table can potentially be a bit overwhelming, especially for guests that are not familiar with it. And I, I really, really hope that next time you go out to buy spices, you give the juniper berry a try. Or, you know, maybe even go harvest some yourself. Be mindful of conservation efforts, though. Um, juniper berries play a really crucial role in ecosystems by providing food for wildlife. And I think a lot then also goes into erosion in mountainous areas. Anyways, you could probably read up on that, but there's definitely this, this conservation piece to look out for. So, okay, let's close the door of our cozy pantry and 
and just carry with us the warmth of simple ingredients and the embrace of hygge in the kitchen, in the heart of a humble spice jar, or a nurturing, flavorful, flavorful staple, we can find comfort and contentment to make simple and tasty dishes for us and the people we love. And all the ingredients I talked about are perfect for, you know, grand feasts and big dinners, but those are not what define our days. It's the joy in the everyday dinner prep and the scent and the aroma of home-cooked meals and the shared laughter and, you know, also the shared problems around our kitchen tables that makes our everyday. So I hope that in your kitchen, you find comfort and inspiration and coziness whenever possible. And don't be too hard on yourself on all the days that doesn't happen in motherhood. Before I end, I wanted to quickly add here something that I meant to say about Parmesan and I forgot. And it's that I always keep the rinds and I throw them in a little dish that I keep in the freezer. And whenever I make a bean stew or a soup, I just add some frozen Parmesan rind to my broth. It leaves this wonderful flavor. So that's just a quick tip before I go off now. Um, remember that I will put an accompanying post on my Substack with all the beautiful ingredients that I mostly use in the fall. So I think I'm going to be talking about cardamom and and dates and pine and some other really good ones. So head over to www.evamariasmith.substack.com or just follow the link in my Insta bio or on my webpage. And you can join my newsletter there for free and simply get the list of all my favorite autumn pantry staples as well. So until we meet again in the heart of another episode, may your pantries be well-stocked and our hearts abundant And I hope life goes easy on us. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope that this episode left you inspired to seek a slower, more intentional life. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave me a review, let me know where you like to listen to my podcast, or write to me. And most importantly, tell all your friends about milk and coffee. For more nourishing lifestyle inspiration, supportive mindset shifts, and all the coziness, follow me on Instagram at ava.maria.smith and subscribe to my Substack called Milk and Coffee or go to my webpage www.avamariasmith.com. I would love to talk more. Remember, slow living is a journey and I'm here for you. Take a deep breath now and seek the beauty of this day. How lucky are we to be alive?